0: Bienvenidas to Merendiando, part of Radio Aluna Tiro. Today we are chatting with the duo behind siranush director and co-creator Carla Melo
1: and writer and performer Lara Arabian. We chatted with them about taking risks, the importance of representation in theater, and how was the process to create a multi-language, multimedia play. Let's get started.
0: Carla and Lara, we're so excited to have you. We both watched the piece at the Rutas. Festival and it was beautiful. It was moving. It was everything you want to see after not being in live theater, coming back and being like, this is live theater, you know, this is it. And but it was not the first time we watched. I watched Ziranush personally. I had the opportunity to watch the 20 minute version at the Caminos in 2019. How has the developing process been since? And did the global, that tiny thing called global pandemic, you the know, what? The what? <laughs> and did the global pandemic affect it or benefit the process?
2: First of all, as you reminded me earlier, we had the chance of applying for grants for a full production. We had had a couple of workshops through the years. So this was uh, our chance. So just really, I guess, distilling what really the production was about who who else we wanted to bring into the team for the full production. That's uh, mostly what we used uh, that time for. Yeah, we didn't actively work on workshopping it or anything
3: like that. I was very fortunate as, a, as an actor and writer to be working on different projects throughout the pandemic. So I uh, Stiranu was always kind of bubbling in the back but it was never at the forefront but I do think it it allowed for some time to for things to filter through and definitely what you were saying when about like being with people mm-hmm. at the end like that when we came back to the room was one of the things that I kept talking about was the audience, the audience, the audience, which uh, they were already present at that Caminos uh, excerpt that you said, which was really more or less the first 20 minutes of the piece. And that was already a key component. But, you know, when Aluna wrote to us and said, what theater space would you like to be in? The main space or the back space? And both of us were, you know, mm-hmm. the studio space, and both of us said the studio space. This has to be a piece that's very intimate, that has to feel like the audience, they're the last character. You're the character that I'm interacting with along with the lights and the mm-hmm. videos, but you are, you are my scene partners. Uh, <laughs> and the element of surprise with the audience was really important to me. I didn't want to telegraph going in and being with them by having to go down a set of stairs each time. So that was something that became very clear to me. I think even more important with the time spent away in the, um, from, from theater and being in the room quickly
2: a second because i spent the pandemic trying to create a device a production with a large cast via zoom and and i also brought as a dramaturg to that and so you know just that change just just being in the room again that was really really inspiring
0: i'm curious about your first meeting uh, like when you do your first like live meeting to to restart the project how, how was that like how did it felt?
3: surreal I was yeah. like we're doing this are we doing this are we this? because for those honestly I have to say there was a part of me that just kept thinking that the rug was gonna get pulled out from under us yeah the last second I, I I kind of refused to believe it maybe it was also because I was slightly terrified but I, I kept thinking is this gonna really happen is this because We were supposed to do it in 2020. And then that got pushed to 2021, which at the time we're like, oh, 2021, of course we'll be back, my gosh. And then that got pushed back. And I had been in spring of this year, I was in a production and it was so hard with COVID. It was when numbers were coming back up and to Mm -hmm. stay safe and to stay healthy. And our stage manager was going down and the actor was like, it was so chaotic. And I just kept thinking it's in the fall. Schools are going to be back. What's going to happen? So there was a part of me uh, that was a little frightened, but also uh, so delighted to jump back in. I'd missed her. I'd missed Sir Anush.
2: Yeah. I really missed it. And then when I read it
3: again, I thought, oh, I'm so happy I still really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember telling you that, Carla. I was like, I really, do. I I, that. I like yeah. it, yeah.
1: I, I think there's definitely like this in-person feeling is like no other, especially for uh, a piece like this, like that you're saying, like we were your scene partner. We were very close physically and also throughout the, the whole performance. And also like each audience is different. Each night gives you a different feeling, different reactions. It's something I think priceless for a performer and in general for like a theater or any like life peace, creator person
3: i was so thrilled to have an audience i you know because after doing it and doing runs or rehearsing with just carla and our stage manager or mm-hmm. maybe trevor would come you know be in the back it was so i knew i i wouldn't know the piece until i had people there mm. like I, i'm not gonna know what this is until there are people that i can interact with and more than two people and, and to have the, the people in the room not have seen it before or not have experienced it mm. before, that was really key. But I, for sure, I was so, I was just dying for an audience.
2: Well, same for me. I mean, I'm the first audience member, but, but you know, but it, in the sense the audience provides that, uh, it just sort of reassures you that you're going in the right path and that things are making sense because you also get immersed. Um, especially in this kind of piece, in this,
1: you know, one-person show. We did notice when we were in the show that there's a use of projections, of live streaming, basically. And as a creative theme, when in the process of this, like, development process, did you started thinking about how do we want to tell this story and what mediums we want to use?
2: I think we began quite early on when we knew that we wanted to represent the many languages that Sinanush Sinanushkin mm-hmm. in order to to really continue to work as an actress when her own language was banned so we knew we wanted to use language other languages and thus we knew that the you know most obvious way to translate would be to use subtitles mm-hmm. one of those subtitles to be dynamic I remember an early uh workshop not that I took but I I learned about and saw a presentation that Trevor had with uh with Aluna part of a Caminos from a few years back it was it was called like dynamic titling. and so I was really inspired by that so anyhow so so it's part of it started with that and then uh and then also just what Lara already mentioned that you know uh, or suggested that, like in this one-person show, you really need more. I mean, this happens in every every theater if it's good theater, <laughs> in my view. But <laughs> but you really need to activate the scenic space and 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 treat it mm. as a as a co-scene partner, as as another character, right? And I think video it's one of the ways that that can be done in an almost more you know literal way, as when we used. The projections to double her presence, um and I think that that came actually was it was something I we had thought before. Like and we never know who thought mm-hmm. something first. Like let's just say we thought before, <laughs> but it really became more tangible during uh, this process. And then of course collaborating with our projections designer, Avide Sadat Paju. What else? The live streaming was uh, also, it came with this conversation with Avide. So first, the live streaming was simply, it had this function to magnify the action of the puppets, which were mm-hmm. not actual puppets. They are mm-hmm. traditional Armenian dolls. It was necessary to amplify them. And at the same time, I liked that that it created a kind of a split focus between seeing Lara puppeteering mm-hmm. them and, and, and seeing them at the same time. So that, you know, it created this this uh, split focus. Um, so, yeah, so I think that there's different uh, layers of how we used uh, the projections, but Lara can yeah. add to it because she played yeah. with them. <laughs> well, well, what I would say is that I
3: think, um, I don't come from a world where I think technology first. <laughs> so for me, it's really the word And so writing it, it was, there was a piece, but I think what is, well, amongst many things, so fantastic about collaborating with Carla is I think we have different strengths when it comes to certain things, Um, because Carla and I'm speaking for, but it comes more from like a graphic artist, video installation, installation art that sort of a background she was able to conceive of things that way that i hadn't necessarily i knew that there would always be doubling i knew that there would always be like a tripling and quadrupling there somehow we would need to represent those things and, and and that the dolls would be there but in terms of the video i think definitely it was carla who was able to conceive it more in her and then and then relay that to me and then i would be able to kind of work around that or or or, or imagine that and and then obviously with Avide as well, uh, and even in the Camino's uh, presentation, that was, we had another uh, video collaborator and was said joking, who's fantastic as well. It was, um, how do we tell the story? Because in the end, it was not about like, let's do a cool effect. It was, mm-hmm. wh- what is the story we wanna tell? And how are all of these partners scenic and, and the art, how do they, how are they also storytellers? We want mm-hmm. everything on the stage to, to tell a story
2: Mm-hmm. in that storytelling function, it also had also some minor documentary moments mm-hmm. where to share something of, you know, of Lada, say, a picture of her. So there was that use and then there was also this um, need that came with with working in the production when we we finally began to understand this piece, which which I mean it's it's just such such a rich, piece of writing but really that it sort of emerged in in a in a kind of almost kaleidoscopic fragmentary way and so you know as we try to put it together as a also uh, workshop the playwriting of it it was all these pieces that were developed separately that then started to fall into place and then we had these the sort of uh, what book ended the piece was this entrance into a kind of, you know, magical realist reality, or at least that's how I conceptualized it, and then the emerging out of it uh, in a way that integrated that, and and so then we all we used um, video uh, in two moments to create a more immersive mm-hmm. environment that conveyed that sense of, uh, yeah, that sense of magic of a space where you can interact with. Um, ancestral presences, you know, uh, and not necessarily blood ancestry, but how do we conceive of of ancestry within a, 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 you know, a diasporic journey?
3: We were ambitious (laughs) over (laughs) (laughs) there. We were very, very ambitious.
0: It was amazing. Also something that for me that really stuck out, it's the use of multiple languages. What is the dramaturgical process to know when to use which language? Like, how do you decide where everything
3: goes? I wish I had a, a like a really clever answer for you, <laughs> uh, other than it was instinct, and also, well, part of it was what are the language because there's the, there's two characters, right? There's Siranush and then there's Lada. So for Siranush, it was clear she could only speak the language. I mean, she never spoke English. I want to be clear, but you know, when there <laughs> are was <one, laughs> channeling, but I was channeling her. Um, but yeah. what did she perform in? So that those languages had to have a clear. Boundary. Mm-hmm. These are the ones she did, either phonetically or she knew them. So with those languages, and then it became about, well, what do they convey? Like what text, what iconic pieces of text are there? Or how can we use the language again, not just as a trick, but to convey something about the piece itself, whether it be about the Lady of the Camilos, which is about this prostitute, or about Medea and her children and so and Joan of Arc and and the different roles of women that that we need to you know that that get played so each time the language was chosen on those ones very carefully in terms of Mm -hmm. how do they marry with the text from another play that is being given here and then for Lara it was about my like I said what like I mentioned in the play the way that uh, I speak Armenian which is mainly Armenian you know, there's, it's mainly Armenian, but then there are these other words that snuck in there from other languages, from, from all of the migrations that my family has gone through. So we speak a certain sort of mix, and then now being in Canada as well, that adds to that mm-hmm. mix um you know it's that classic like in one sentence there's three different languages when you're talking to your mm. family because we all you know uh understand each other so that was that was where that came from and, and also just the constant investigation of where does this lie in the body that was i think from the very beginning one of the guiding questions that we had that yeah. that both carl and i can really relate to as humans but also as artists uh, body mapping and language mapping on the body and you know that is a, a a very key thing that we i still have no answers for but that was that was one of the key curiosities that was driving the piece. what happens to the body when you start speaking another language and where do all these other languages lie and how do they get activated or lie dormant so those were were key
2: questions that we
3: we kept coming back to
2: and i just want to add that uh so we needed to represent her journey not in a documentary sort of truthful way. So for instance, we knew that you know, she spoke Farsi and then we thought, oh, maybe we can put in into the Joan of Arc story. So we weren't trying to sort of track in a in a sense of like a mm. you know a historical accuracy, mm-hmm. but in but broadly, it was important to us to to represent her, like you know. So it's it's, like, it's almost like reconceptualizing what this sort of like loyalty to to a historical like mm-hmm. fact is, you know, how to represent her. Because in in so many ways, the piece was so much about the search for Sira right? But then the other thing that we talked about too about. Uh, This use of multiple languages is was to sort of just disturb the anglophone uh, hegemony on stage and and to try and be as daring as we could, while still obviously positioning ourselves, you know, uh, as, as, say, an English-only speaking audience and how they mm-hmm. be able to navigate the piece. Obviously, we wanted everybody to get the story, but we also thought we, you know, that there were certain things that it was okay uh, for monolinguals not to get, that those, you know, mm-hmm.
1: that, that there
2: would be a, a variety and that, you know, we had this this audience that hadn't seen themselves on stage yet so so that was was very important for us to sometimes choose not to translate or to sort of just not do literal translations that's very true
3: yeah and and what were the key things that an audience member would would could hold on to without understanding the full text and also Mm. you know there there are chunks like just on a purely practical like getting people to read an entire paragraph was not going to Mm -hmm. Engage them in any way, but what were the key points of the story? And absolutely, what Carla is saying, there were a few times where I just kind of went, I just want this to be this moment is for the Armenians. Like, I just for them to feel like they are seen, and for the for people who, um, like Anglophones, to just for a moment feel displaced
1: Mm -hmm. and
3: not and a little disoriented. (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah, no,
1: I, I think as people that. I mean we speak Spanglish and I think there is something about like what feels right in your body connected to a language. Mm-hmm. I think for me it happens a lot like certain things I learn in English so it's easier for me to like explain it and like talk about them in English and then my Spanish is now a mix. I'm from Peru but a lot of the words that I say now are Mexican slang just because I've I'm surrounded by Mexican people. Like the majority of my friends are Mexican because like the Peruvian diaspora here is Mm -hmm. is quite small. At least like the queer Peruvian diaspora, Mm -hmm. it's like a little bit harder to find, but also like my language, my Spanish language has changed and like adapted because like I've learned new ways, but I think it it makes a lot of sense also to try to be like, this is what feels right for me. And I think even though like I didn't understand, uh like certain parts of the play it's still like a similar experience that i go through like on a daily basis so i'm like i'm also being like yeah you don't need to understand this this is not for you (laughs) and that's okay it's like not everything has to be for everyone you know there's space within one play like this is like one performance one play and there's space for like multiple identities to feel identify with this
3: absolutely yeah it was never an intention to 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 lock anyone out or to make anyone feel excluded mm-hmm. or 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 even bad like you only speak english what you know there's none of that but there i think mm-hmm. there was more the desire for recognition and the desire mm-hmm. to stake a claim on stage that mm-hmm. uh i personally had not seen mm-hmm. um, and that mm-hmm. felt very important especially when we're talking about a language that has been threatened and erasure yeah. and banning and and all of that so yeah what and what you're saying is so interesting because amongst all the armenian diasporas in the world that's what happens so my cousins in brazil their armenian is mixed in with you know portuguese words i'm like what what are they saying there you know and the ones in the middle east it's with more with arabic and but we all understand each other more or less mm-hmm. but it's 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 a fascinating thing for me and when those transformations occur and what happens those that's it really fascinates me
0: for me when i was watching uh, the play it it's about searching and belonging and that i understand like everybody there understands that it's like i understand that this character is searching he's searching to see themselves reflected in, in something bigger, so that for me doesn't matter what language you're saying, I understand it. Yeah, and, and speaking yeah. about finding other people and finding community, we want to know how did you start collaborating together? What is your story? Who approached who?
2: Well, I've I have to say that I, I I saw Lada first in the first staging of Blood Weddings. Oh and uh, directed by Sohail, our dear Sohail Parsa. And, um, and, and so I had this idea to stage um piece for summer works uh, by Karida Cevich. And it was a very complex piece where four actors played 16 characters. So I knew I needed really great actors. And I just knew I want her. <laughs> so I asked, Sohel, who was that woman? And so he gave me her contact. So I think yeah, I think in 2015, Summer Works 2015, um, we staged that piece. And it was a labor of love. We uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't have any funding. We just did it for Summer Works. And, uh, and then she approached me the year after, like, I have this idea, and I could see how excited she was. Like, there's like a little girl about this, you know, the life of this ethnic Armenian 19th century actress. And at first I was like, oh, I wow, a historical piece. It was just like my first impact was kind of like being a little, I don't know, like, I guess uh, scared or thinking that wasn't something like usually that I did, right? Because I come, as she said, from performance art and installations and all that. So, uh, mm-hmm. then of course she lured me in and the more, <laughs> the more I learned about Siranush, the more the more I wanted to work with
3: her. Yeah. I was reminding Carla about that about that meeting when we uh, cuz I think we were meeting to wrap up the summer works show and and uh, you know, it was it was a little while later for sure. And then I showed up with my little I have this little book I have um, that has excerpts of Ciranush's journals that I found in Armenia, which was really the starting point of the piece. They're not intimate journals; they're more. She talks about um, the work and her love for being an actor. I was just mesmerized, and I remember showing up to. <laughs> we were at this cafe at Dundas and Palmerston. It's like. I have this idea. And I pulled out the book. I was like, here she is. And look, there's a picture of her playing Hamlet right there. And, you know, I knew at the time I didn't, I was never interested in doing a biographical, like, and this was Sita doing this. Like, I, that never interested mm-hmm. me. But my experience of working with Carla during that summer work show was so positive. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a kindred spirit. Like, I, I get this person. And she gets oh. me uh, on all the levels. And just artistically, okay, just it, it felt very I, I i had been thinking about this piece for a while not really knowing the shape of it And i never really mm. thought like i don't i can't do this someone who i need to collaborate i'm not a director i want to write it da, 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 da. and then after working together i thought oh no i think i found i think i found the person mm. uh who can do this that's our story huh that's our me cute story <laughs>
1: talking a little bit more about your story and this particular play discussions for carla we know that you are the director and co-creator of the show how do you balance these two very important roles how are you able to connect and separate from both of them
2: um well I think that uh they're they're very organic and I don't really Mm. see so much uh a limit or a boundary between those two although as the piece progressed I became more of a director in a more sense. And, and we started in what could be called here in Anglo-America's uh, devising, which is such a, a mechanical word that I actually teach devising, but I t- <laughs> I try to always talk about you know creation coletiva, collective creation, or collaborative, you know, creation. So um it started with with that stimulus, right? Of 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 that journal and um, and, and, and it was really about us uh, kind of brainstorming from that, learning, researching about Sirranush and and improvising with uh, with that, improvising physically and visually with that. And then Lada would go. So our first workshop really was a moment where I felt I'm kind of this, you know, it's her baby. It's her story. It's her debut as a playwright. And, and so it is great to have someone to bounce off from, especially sometimes you need to detach yourself from that. So so in a way, I, I felt that my role was if you know, if she was the mother, it was her baby. I was I was the midwife and I, I brought this image. So now again and again, you know um and, and so I was there to sort of help to bring this story to life. and then as it developed, and yes, we both knew it was never going to be a historical thing, but I think I kind of, you know, gently just sometimes pushed her a little bit towards making it, oh, this is so much more about Lada, you know, <laughs> and we kind of had this dance going on because of course the importance, you have this responsibility when you're trying to, to represent someone who lived and, and it was an important icon in her time, you know, um, so there is that responsibility to represent and at the same time it really because we couldn't find there is a scene where you know lada throws all these papers in the air and say, say like we can't find much about her we know that she was important you know and and so it became so much more about that search and I think in a way I kind of helped push in that direction and then you know and then also as as, as she uh as she worked with uh, playwriting workshops and things like that. It kind of took that direction, but yeah, about my role. I just, I just really see myself as, as, as a facilitator, as, you know, as being there as mirroring as lis- as a listener, um, as a reader, um, and, and sometimes just, you know, a, like a dramaturg, I guess, you know, asking some questions um saying what I thought I understood what I thought it was too much and my preoccupation was we have this amazing text and she and I'm not just saying this because she's here I think she's she's so gifted, um, I'm gonna cry. So this is just, it, it, you know, it is the kind of text I want to work with, right? But I was also concerned with, like, oh my god, because you know, you sent her home and she came back with <laughs> lots of writing, and so I started getting, you know, that 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 healthy anxiety of like, this is really text heavy, and, and this is not necessarily how I identify as a director. Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we find that balance? So for me, it was more about that balance. And and I'm very pleased with um, you know where we are right now. I always feel that there's room for for greater development, but I really feel that it has it has sort of landed in a way that uh, I'm very happy with with the multiple languages, not just the the cultural languages, but the scenic languages and how they were all um, yeah played a part in telling the story.
0: And Lara, speaking about this being your uh, playwright debut, why is it important for you to create and write your own work? Because we know you're already a a really amazing, established actor in TV and film and theater and everywhere where we can see you act. We know. (laughs) video
3: games too. (laughs) But why is that important to create your own work? The simple answer is I felt compelled to do this. I know that sounds so, but I just felt like, I was like, I have to tell the story. I think I've always been interested in like collective creation and divide, like the, all that sort of work where the artist has a hand in shaping it. And uh, like, I love working on new plays, like new play workshops. Oh my God, uh, just so great. <laughs> I love that. Um, and this one, it just felt like it, I was compelled to do it. I could not not do it. That's what it felt like. And I think I'd always wanted to write because I, I directed a little bit more before, and then as as this process went on, and it was like, Carla I would say, I go off and write. Like I'd come in with you know a piece of text, and we devise or or work on that for now, and then I would go back and come back with so much more text. It felt like this was the right path for me, and um, and then I worked with night. Nightwood's right from the HIP program and they have playwrights lab and the, the piece kept developing, I thought, okay, no, I can do this, I can do this and, and it just feels like, who else is going to do it if I'm not going to do it as well, I had not seen this kind of work and I really wanted to I thought, as I see in the, you know, say in the play, like, why hadn't I heard of her, but it's also why hadn't I seen this before. Mm-hmm or why hadn't i you know um experienced this before of course there have been armenian plays and amazing playwrights but maybe in the in the not so much in the diaspora community in this way and since uh the the piece i've been i've received so many emails and messages from people saying i've never i've never seen myself on stage i've never seen that and it's it's very moving to me at the same time it really pisses me off. I'm like, why not? Why haven't we seen? <laughs> why haven't why hasn't this happened? Why did we, you know, why is it such an extraordinary thing? I'd love it to not be so extraordinary uh in the sense of 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 being able to see ourselves. So, um I, I just felt very very I was just so curious and she ticked off all the boxes, Sira Nush and her journey and and I have to say, I was not compelled at all to write about myself at the beginning. <laughs> 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 Carla, Carla really pushed me. And then I have to say, Nightwood Theatre, right from the hip there too, all, my little cohort there, they were like, we want to know more about this. Like, me? What? No, no, no. You want to know about Siren? No, no, we want to know more about you. Same thing at BAMP. So going through, was it was really a process of, of how do these two stories now speak to each other?
2: Yeah, we had very emotional uh responses that I you know I, I mean I knew um I knew how this was important because we also had a reading at the Pomegranate uh film festival early on before Caminos um and I think that was late that was t- uh, late 2017
3: it was a very like again it was like a 15 yeah. minute and and you know the way I wrote this piece is like literally it was like Uh, like one-page monologue, two-page monologue, and then just pasting them together in different orders. How does this work? How does this speak to this moment? And how do we work it all around? And the Pomegranate Film Festival is, uh, happens in Scarborough. Uh, It celebrates Armenian film, Armenian filmmakers, uh, Armenian themes in, in film. And they sometimes had this an extra kind of program where it would be music and in our case we did a, a reading yeah and we had an incredible you're right I'd forgotten about that
2: yeah so so but it was that kind of response sort of you know times 100 when you know we I, I got there were audience members coming to me because you know Lara has like 20 people waiting to talk to her and then you know uh people coming to me in tears and 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 thanking me thanking me in in Portuguese I'm like how do you you know and, and and so, yeah, we, we know that, like, we, we you know, and, and that's something you can only know when you have that, let's just say that primary audience, right? Mm-hmm.
3: And it was, it was particularly, I think, a female Armenian voice that mm-hmm. had also been missing because I had, even in 2017, one of the things that struck me the most were these two women who came up to me and uh they they couldn't speak they just said everything you said is and they just pointed to their their abdomen just started rubbing they're like it's in here it's in here and things are moving things are moving in here and i don't know i i have no words to put to them but things are happening inside of me right now um and it was so incredibly moving to hear that and they said you you're you're voicing something that I didn't even know was inside me but it's inside me and it's starting to move right now uh, and that was incredibly gratifying and very moving very very moving
1: any sort of like art medium it, it makes a difference in terms of like it reaches like people's in an emotional level and, and a lot of the time people don't know how to react because they didn't even know <laughs> that that was an emotion that we're gonna feel so I'm sure it's like a very interesting and a lot of time rewarding feeling to know that you connected with so many people so many strangers it,
3: it really was and i was a little scared because as armenians we don't we don't air dirty laundry in public that's a mm-hmm. thing like you don't you don't do that the community is very very tight and keeps within itself and you don't you don't ever show cracks mm-hmm. to anyone else so i was a little worried I was like oh are they gonna you know get upset that i'm Pointing some things out that might not be, be as flattering, but it was it, the, the reaction was nothing but exceptionally. Oh my gosh, just it was just exceptional. It's beyond what I could have hoped for.
0: It, I think that's the artist's gut feeling like when you knew this is the story, this
3: is the story, and like the mm-hmm. journey that this story has had like when it finds you, it finds you. Exactly. And I do think <laughs> it was so funny that all the Armenians who came and saw me. They just, the first thing they said after they talked about how much they loved it, are you taking this to LA? Because there's such an enormous <laughs> Armenian diasporan community there, including my own family. I have an enormous bunch of family that I spent every summer there as a kid. Uh, even the Armenians who don't know that I have any sort of connection to LA. Are you taking this to LA? They need to see it. It was very funny. Just like Sir Anush, you're gonna go touring around, around the
2: world. I'm just gonna go around <laughs> with my little suitcase i'm gonna activate my la connections i lived there for 18 years that's where my Ar- armenian connection started as well
1: just in this podcast we're finding out that your energy is going that's on a right tour.
2: you're
3: in LA. <laughs> it's coming for you i promise you no i do i i have ambitious plans
1: we are excited <laughs> about the ambitious plans we, we are coming to an end of an, our interview sadly this has been yeah. very fun, but we are going to ask a couple of questions that we ask all our guests. Uh, Rutas was born out of the desire to bring art from across the Americas to Toronto, to encounter new perspectives, voices, and ideas, and to engage in conversations about art and human rights. What conversations or games do you hope Surenage brought to our audiences?
3: I think I'm really interested in uh, uh, displacement and looking at what it means to migrate for different reasons and what that means what that does to a body what that does to generation intergenerationally so thinking about that idea of yeah of, I, I think displacement and human rights and why people leave forced choice whatever it is and what that how that resonates then not only through their own bodies but the bodies to come of the generations to come i think that's uh, it's always been uh, uh something that I'm is very at the forefront as I mentioned in the show nearly every generation of my family in the last four years, four generations has been born in a different place and so what is that what hmm. does that mean in terms of how we see ourselves how other species and yeah I could go on and on but that idea of displacement where it lives in the body and the human rights with that the idea of privileged yes. migration and non-privileged migration and how those mm-hmm. two are Conceived of, I, th- I would say, in in the Western world, and and why mm-hmm. those those
2: conversations. Yeah, one of the things that fascinated me as as the as the midwife was the ways in which when you are uprooted, right from your sort uh, of you know from your culture in different ways, how do we search for? how do we how do we construct this notion of ancestry and 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 I and I think that again that doesn't necessarily has to do with blood ties and especially uh, you know as cultural workers artists we are I think always looking for you know someone in the past that that will inspire not necessarily in the past but but you know who's able to navigate this you know this world where you know the ground is is always sort of moving in a way and and then um yeah yeah so so for me it was was that and i don't think i ever told you lada but or maybe i did early on but for me the the analogy was like my in my early 20s and gosh even into my early 30s i investigated carmen miranda um <laughs> A, a whole other story but but I always had this yeah. sort of you know this sort of connection of how like I I needed to embody Carmen who is such a you know a uh, rich figure layered mm. with you know colonial ties but also a very authentic mm-hmm. drive to be herself to represent Brazil across the Americas. so anyhow I don't want to center that conversation at all but it was a one way that I mm-hmm. I kind of understood and for me so for me so the you know lara searching for siranush was really something that it's it that story i think it uh it awakens and um and, and makes us sort of own that desire right that desire to to search for for uh, figures that my uh, show us, you know not one way but the many ways through which we can reconnect, you know, reconnect within and with where we come from. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say one other conversation
3: that is important to this piece and that Carla and I had a lot of it was um, also just uh, the conversation around uh, female artists who are mothers or any, you know, like in my particular, it's female artist, the mother. What does that mean? And what does that mean both to your creative force and to your family? Uh, and, and navigating that. So that was that was a big part of this piece as well. Yeah. That conversation.
2: How do you do it all, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. The
3: question that sets you up to fail.
0: <laughs> so speaking of failure, we have a question about that for you next. So every episode we ask our current guest to pose a question to the next guest. So we can keep the conversation going across practices and across borders. The question we have for both of you comes from Santiago Guzman, the writer and performer of Altar. And Santiago's question is, how have you failed in your artistic process? And what has that taught you? Oh, my
3: gosh, you have to fail. I I, so when I teach, I, I the first day that I walk into the and let, let me be straight, like, some, it doesn't feel so good all the time. <laughs> but I think <laughs> failure is, is showing that you're trying to figure something out. And if you're not trying to figure something out, and it, it's impossible for everything to go as planned, because then why would you rehearse or do anything? Like, it's then the piece is already created. So um, it taught me, uh, taught me uh, to rely on instinct, mm. to, to, to keep, even when it wasn't working, it's like i know there is something there that would happen with carl it's like i know cut i know it's not working i just give me time like i know it's there i haven't quite formulated it yet i don't know what it is but but me wanting to go back to it was a sign that something is there that needs to be mm-hmm. uncovered so uh i think it's it's a valuable valuable t- it's a tool oh my gosh like any other tool it's it teaches you so much and it is as important as those moments that we land i think the yeah. other side i think it is it's crucial because then that's the only thing that's going to tell you whether something belongs in a piece or not or your curiosity is being satisfied or not
2: yeah yeah and 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 just to even to to expand or to from that is there was a moment where i felt okay now we're presenting right now so we're process 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 now we have to we have to have this product right and I, I think the moments that I, I decided to play safer were the moments that didn't quite work. So, um, I mean, you guys saw the scene where we throw eggs at this mm-hmm. wall, right? And uh, at Camino's, we had more of a video representation of that, but we really wanted to have that um, contact with the material, that messiness, that you know, realness kind kind of thing and, and and in a participatory way. So um I think it was maybe it was our last show where I didn't because the first one um someone had thrown through had had thrown the egg in a way that it spilled onto Trevor's big scrim and I just panicked like how much is that how am I gonna pay for that Da-da-da-da-da. so all these thoughts like every night you know I mean, it was only three nights, but like, you know, that, that tension. So then the last time I thought we need a plant, we're going to put someone there to, to throw the egg and not miss it. So that, you know, so we don't have all this (laughs) cost, but it didn't feel like it didn't feel the same way. It kind of felt like it, it, it it took the risk out. So again, Mm. because we have to risk, we have to continue to, to, yeah, to just, push our boundaries and sometimes because of these you know uh presenting um conditions and and, ma- and material limitations sometimes you may just kind of shrink back from that risk uh and and then just learn that you shouldn't mm-hmm. anyhow you should you know do it and figure it out later but but don't compromise mm. that choice you know
1: yeah thank you so what would we- you two like to ask to our next guest
2: well i'm, I'm curious as, as as to how the the piece that has been shared at rutas might sort of might uh, influence their future creations or whether this piece is a seed for a, a bigger project so I'm, I'm always curious about that my,
3: my question might feed into that, but just because we were talking about risk, which is um, what is the uh, artistic risk that most excites and terrifies you right now?
2: Ooh, Ooh, <laughs> Thank
0: you so much for talking to us. Thank you so, so much for bringing art into our lives. And we can't wait to see where Sir Anush goes next. Maybe LA, maybe
3: we don't know.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. Thank you so much. This is, it's been wonderful, thank you.
2: Yeah, it was great hearing your feedback as well. Thank you so much.
1: We're speaking from Toronto. This is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, the Nashinabe, the Wendat, and Mississaugas of the Credit. This land is covered by the digital one spoon wampum and Treaty 13, also known as the Toronto Purchase.
0: At we remember that people can begin to heal when they are hurt. We are committed to artful participation in disagreements. We are committed to unsettling ourselves towards connection, respect, and justice for all people who now live in this city, which has been a meeting place since time immemorial.
1: Radio Luna Teatro is supported by Luna Theatre, with support from the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Department of Canadian Heritage, and TD Bank.
0: Aluna Theater is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Shelness.
1: Radio Luna Teatro is produced by Monica Garrido and Lucia Linares.
0: For more about Aluna Theater, visit us at alunatheater.ca. Follow at Aluna Theater on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook.